When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. Welcome to the Saluka Singh podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Last week, we had a bumper episode. It was so bumper, it was split into two. This is the opposite. <laughs> I don't know what the opposite of bumper is, but this won't be long and it won't be split into two. Uh, not by me anyway. Um, but it's a little catch up really ahead of, uh, well, what's quite an interesting week. The Six Reds World Championship is upon us. Uh, now, UK viewers, if you want to watch uh, the first match, 4am, 4am <laughs> UK time uh, on Discovery Plus, and then Eurosport have it from half past six. So, you know, we're taking on Frank and Selena. There's, there's a contemporary reference um, in the uh, TV ratings. But anyway, uh, the Six Reds, it's an interesting uh, interesting tournament, I think, because uh, it's Six Reds snooker. If you've never seen it, it is what it sounds like. It's snooker play with six reds rather than 15 um, and it's quite popular in Thailand it didn't really take off anywhere else but it's a shorter f- version of the game as you can imagine it, it you know, matches are quicker and we've had uh, straight into the emails because um, we've had uh, an email from Darren here he says in my first question can you explain how the rankings work for the six reds world championship most seedings look unremarkable I can understand why Steve Maguire as the last winner is seeded number one however Matt Selt is seeded number three but has a World Snooker Tour ranking of 29 and a one-year ranking of 66. Jordan Brown also looks a surprising seed at number seven. He has a WST ranking of 43 and a one-year ranking of 40. Any info info to clarify the above would be helpful. Well, Darren, the reason is uh, the the players you've mentioned there have actually replaced top players who have pulled out. So pretty much all the top 16 virtually uh, agreed to play in the tournament. Uh, but various ones have pulled out. I think Mark Allen is one, Mark Selby, a few others as well. So they've taken the decision to top up uh, the field going off the world ranking list. But this includes players who've already been knocked out of the tournament. So there was a pre-qualifying. It was a little under the radar because it was on during the Masters. But there was a pre-qualifying event. Matt Selt was beaten there in his second match. He beat Ray Evans, he lost to Chao Yupeng, but he's now been called up to play in the tournament. I mean, this is kind of unprecedented um, that the player has been knocked out. Jordan Brown was knocked out in the second qualifying round by Ben Mertens. He's been called to play in the tournament. And there's various others as well. 
Um, now, they had to fill the field up somehow, I guess. They could have chosen to, you know, uh, choose diameters maybe, but, you know, they want a recognisable field of, of, of players that professional players people, you know, will know and want to watch. I guess the other way of doing it would have been to go to the players who lost in the last round of qualifying first, sort of lucky losers almost, but they haven't done that, they've gone to the rankings. It's a bit bizarre, and I have to say, there's players in this who, <laughs> who in any other circumstance would scream up about it, but some of them have been the beneficiaries, and oddly enough have not said a word, which is quite funny really. It's not a big deal, it's not a ranking event, but it does seem odd if you've been knocked out of the qualifying, that you then still end up in the tournament. Anyway... Uh, hopefully that answers your question. That's why they basically directly replaced the top players who have pulled out. So Matzel isn't the third seed, but he's taking the place of where the third seed was. Now, of course, there's also been um, a lot of snooker actually played recently. Uh, we had the Championship League, which was won by John Higgins last week. <laughs> John's won that for the fourth time. It, it's maybe not an event you would necessarily think that he would have much success in, in as much as the matches are very short. You know, we think of Higgins as a sort of long-form player, really, world championship, eight finals, four titles, all the rest of it, the crucible. But he played really well, and he still he still has that capacity to clear up from 50-odd behind. He still has that capacity to really school players who, you know, I mean, most of them are not really in his league when it comes to the thinking in snooker. You know, he's a great thinker, and when he puts it into action, obviously, just a great player. And I did speak to him afterwards. He was saying that... Um, about this season, he said after the, his defeat to Ronnie O'Sullivan in the World Championship semi-finals, he felt that his cue action needed to be more compact, but his cue, he felt, was too big for that to be brought about. So he, he's been, as he has been for pretty much all his whole career, tinkering with his cue, lopping bits off, trying to get it the right, to, to feel right. And he reckons it does now. He reckons he's really happy with it now. And it'd be interesting, obviously we've got the, the new event coming up, the Classic, but then the World Championship, whether John Higgins who's been very quiet all season. He's had probably his poorest ever season, if you look at his results. Hasn't been past the last 16 of a ranking event. It'll be interesting if, with this sort of confidence he has in his game and sort of little expectation, it seems, from outside, whether he can actually mount a really good run at the World Championship. I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, but he was happy to win that, and it was a, a nice event as well as ever run by our friends at Matchroom Multisport. Very friendly tournament, and... Uh, it, uh, the winners group of course was stacked with, with huge names John Higgins the winner and then the women's world championship of course uh, has a new winner uh, it was held in the high end club in Bangkok in Thailand and it, now they, I, I genuinely don't like when British people sort of make fun of foreign names it's really I find it really embarrassing but the fact is that her name the winner is quite hard to say I'm going to have a go at it it may not be right but the, 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 the written name Sarah Parp Porn Yuan Thak Ham Jam. Now I'm sure there's a, there's, you know, <laughs> that's not the most, uh, nuanced way of saying the name, but that is how it's written. Anyway, congratulations to her. She beat, uh, Bai Yu Lu of China, who of course made the highest ever break in the world championship. 127. It's first time in it. So she's clearly a prospect. 6-3. Um, it didn't look a classic from, from what I, I saw of it, but th that's not their problem. And she was, <laughs> the pictures of her celebrating. She was absolutely delighted, of course, on home soil in Thailand as well. She gets a two-year card. Um, Rianne Evans had quite a lot to say, though, um, about the lack of investment in the women's game. Um, she's, I mean, Rianne has obviously, for the best part of two decades, been sort of doing her best and, and, and not earning the sort of living that she wants to from it. Now she's on the main tour, although, you know, it may be that she drops off. 
Um, but she said that the women, effectively the phrase she used was they deserve a properly funded circuit. Now, the problem with that is you don't actually deserve anything really because we operate and sport operates on the basis of the free market and the market will decide. It's like me saying I deserve to be paid for this podcast. Well, I don't because no one's going to pay me. <laughs> People are not queuing up, believe me, to give me money. So, unfortunately, it's kind of a bit of a vicious circle because on the one hand, you've got the women's game, which is, and it's a fact to say this, it's not as attractive to watch as the professional game. It's the same as amateur snooker, senior snooker. None of that is going to be as popular to watch as the professional game. And consequently, they don't get investment. But of course, how does that change? It can only change through increased participation numbers, more women playing. How does that happen? Well, they need to see themselves playing on TV. So it it is a bit catch-22. It's unlikely, I think, you're going to get someone come in and invest huge amounts of money in a circuit. But I think there are things they can do to increase the awareness of women's snooker. We had an email on this podcast, and I'm I'm sorry, I, I... don't know, I can't remember who sent it now, so I would give credit if I could. But somebody wrote in and suggested that what the women's game could do is have, essentially, go back to basics and have a pop black style event. So if they could get a half an hour television programme each week two women play each other, that's how Snooker became big on British TV in the first place with the, with the early professionals. That might be a way of showcasing it, rather than always having a sort of ranking event and trying to get as many people playing as possible. Actually go the other way pick the top eight in the world, and use it as a showcase. Um, now, it's easy to say that. Obviously, they would need a broadcaster, but it, it seems that that could be a way of... Rianne's argument is that w- women should be seen playing each other on TV. Well, I understand that. Um, so maybe that's a way to do it, if they could get a, a broadcaster interested. Um, it's worth saying, though, you know, a lot of people said about women's football, oh, no one wants to watch it, it'll never be successful. That... Is not true because what's happened is we, we saw the lionesses, of course, last year. What's happened is that you know people have come to it and have um, enjoyed it, and certainly England winning that uh, the European Championship was a huge thing, and you know the, the women's Super League is, is popular. It's shown live on TV, so it, it's not the case that it's sort of a hopeless cause. I just don't see when we have professionals unable to make a living how. It, it, we're going to get to a position where the women's circuit suddenly gets huge, huge investment, unless there's literally someone with lots of money who comes along and actually wants to take it on. Um, so I sympathise with Rianne, but you know it, you've got to be realistic. Unfortunately, we we are at the mercy of the market, and at the moment, if people want to put money into snooker, it's going to be the professional game. It just is. Um, but anyway, that was the the women's uh, uh, world championship. The uh, the Q Tour playoffs are ongoing. I'm recording this on Sunday morning, so I don't know who's won that, but uh, there's four left in it, and whoever comes through that is going to get a place on tour, which is very exciting. I see uh, Florian Nursler, the the Austrian, is, is in it. That would be uh, huge for him if he could get his tour card, obviously, because uh, it's another country that, you know, 10 years ago, well, maybe 20 years ago, you wouldn't associate with snooker, but now, thanks to a lot to Eurosport, of course, um, that's changed. So... Uh, Anyway, so that's that's what's been happening. Uh, now, the WST Classic, I did mention last week that myself and Dominic Dale will be commentating on it, and, I, and in my sort of general ignorance, I said I didn't know what platform it was on, which was true, but we found out now it's Matchroom Live. Um, it's not on Discovery+, Plus. it's on Matchroom Live. It will... We There will be a cost. We don't know what it is yet. I think that'll be announced this week. Um, 
for the week, I don't know. What what you would charge, maybe a tenner? I don't know. I hope it's not too much. Obviously, you don't want to price people out. We're going to show table one. So I worked out that because uh, there's, there's uh, five matches a day for the first six days and then three on the last day. So it's 33 matches you can watch. So there's a lot of snooker there. And obviously, it's all the top players, tour championship places, top 16, tour survival, you know, all that, all that is in the mix. And obviously people just wanting to, uh, you know, win a tournament, getting the champion champions, all that is on the line. So it's going to be interesting, I think. Um, so hopefully people, A, can get matchroom live to work. That's, that's the big thing. And B, will join us. And here's the thing, okay. My feeling is, and it's been on this for a while, it's not always possible on broadcast television, but I think commentary could be more interactive. I think, I think snooker fans are not, um, engaged enough, and what I mean, what I mean by that is they're not engaged enough by the broadcasters. Um, they're not evolved enough. And when we did Judgment Day at the UK Championship, and we'll do it again at the World Championship, we had tweets, we had messages, we had interaction. When I did that commentary on Discovery Plus on Jimmy White's match against uh, Peng Song in the German Masters, the whole evening was about people sharing their memories, sharing their thoughts. Now, that's maybe not always possible on strictly linear broadcast television but online where everybody is active anyway it seems logical to involve people so that's my aim is to involve people and for example the the idea is that after the first match say Judd Trump wins the first match at the start of the second match we'll get him in the commentary box and I'll interview him but we'll read out questions that people have sent in so that sort of thing um so what I'm saying is, I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not acting as a sort of shill for the uh, for the matchroom live thing. But what I'm saying is, if you watch the coverage, we want you to be involved in it. You, you, you not just sat, sit watch it, but actually get involved with ideas and thoughts about what you're watching. And as I say, you can put your questions to the players. That's the idea. Um, hopefully, <laughs> it will uh, it will um, it will work. Uh, I'll certainly be doing my best anyway. Now then. Um, Let's let's get to the other emails. Lee Wall, he says, there are reports at the end of 2021 that Big Break might be revived. Have you heard any whispers about this since? If it did come back, who would you like to see as the presenter and the ex-pro? That's Lee Wall in Liverpool. Well, I, I, Lee, I, I haven't heard any more about that. I mean, these stories are floated in the press, um, but they're sometimes floated for sort of, how should we say, to foreground sort of the potential names who are in the frame. It's not necessarily floated by the BBC, but for example, let's say, let's say Phil Yates, okay, wants to present <laughs> Big Break. It might be in his interest to ring up a journalist and, and say that, oh, by the way, Big Break might be coming back. I'm in the frame. Uh, all puns intended. Because then he gets his name in the paper. Now, Phil, I've used as an example there. He's not in the frame for Big Break. If it did come back, the problem is if it came back, you see, you couldn't, it wouldn't just be the same program as before. For a start, the prizes, you know, these days, giving away a toaster and a Casio keyboard ain't going to cut the mustard, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, it's all, the only prizes that seem to be given away now on TV is money. So it would have to be, it would all be cash, which, you know, takes away a little bit of the charm of it. Um, and I suspect they, they do their best to sort of reinvent it. But to answer your question, the John Virgo role, I think, could be done by Alan Taylor. Alan Taylor, who's, um, very entertaining character, obviously a main tour player, but he does all impressions of players and uh, is a good lad and, and I think quite entertaining and I think he'd do a good job. In, in terms of the main presenter, well, I don't know, pick, pick who you want really. Uh, some, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, sort of modern names that I don't really keep up with, to be honest with you, but um, 
yeah, as long as, as long. I, I suspect it wouldn't be Jim Davidson. Uh, but anyway, there's no, there's no. I don't think there's any immediate sign that he's going to come back. Uh, Tommy, I pray. I thoroughly enjoyed your bumper episode, but notice my attached email wasn't read out. Well, sorry about that, Tommy. Um, uh, he says it may be an oversight. Yes, it was an oversight. I had a lot, and yours did, did go by the wayside, but here we are. Um, he says, I'm looking forward to the bumper episode with bated breath. In light of the Chinese players who are under investigation for ma- match-fixing, I thought this would be a good time to ask a question that's always puzzled me regarding the match-fixing incident with John Higgins many years ago. My recollection is that John's manager was fined, sacked, but from what I remember, there wasn't any ban for John. I may be wrong. Well, and he goes on a little bit more, but basically, OK, it wasn't... It's important to say John Higgins was not charged with match-fixing. And it's also important to say that the Chinese players have not been banned. They've been suspended. Now, there may be bans handed out down the line. We'll we'll see. But they've been suspended. John Higgins, when all this came to light, was also suspended. And uh, in the end, he was charged with... uh, Not with match-fixing, because he hadn't fixed any matches. He was charged with bringing the game into disrepute because he failed to disclose an invitation to uh, effectively breach the betting rules of snooker. Um, and he was suspended for six months, and he was fined £75,000. And that's the most anyone's ever been fined. So it wasn't wasn't nothing. Um, then he came back playing. Um, so the two cases are different. In the case of the Chinese players, there is our allegations or suggestions that matches have actually been fixed. Now, here's the thing. The, the the inquiry is going to start, or the hearing, I should say, is going to start on April the 24th, which is slap in the middle of the World Championship, which I've, I just find extraordinary. The problem is it's independent, as was the Higgins case, as of all these cases. They're, they're independently run. So the WPBSA, World Snooker Tour, they don't get to control um, the process. They don't get to control the punishments or anything. It's all done independently, as it should be, because then there's no suggestion that you know there's any sort of undue influence. But having said that, the idea that... I mean, surely they could have waited till after the World Championship. Why does it have to start on April the 24th? I don't think we'll find out any um, any conclusions because it'll take a while, clearly. Um, so I, I think it'll be after the World Championship when we find out what's going to happen with these players. But even so, the, the publicity around it is completely unwelcome. The World Championship is our biggest event. And, you know, we don't need this in the middle of it. But that's, that's what's happening. It's going to be uh, starting... At the moment, anyway, during the championship, there may be delays. The minute lawyers get involved in anything, um, you know, you, you can get delays. But uh, it, it just, yeah, it, it, it's not great, I don't think. Well, not a bit's great, is it? Let's be honest. Uh, Alan in the Peak District. Before I ask my question, please excuse the rather petty and ill-informed context of this email. Well, if, if it wasn't for petty and ill-informed, Alan, we wouldn't have a podcast. Uh, anyway, to be fair, it's also not very timely as it relates to something I saw at the Masters back in January. I was watching a frame where Stuart Bingham was at the table. Or was it Sean Murphy? I'm not 100% sure. I said, I like Alan. He's, he's commented this without really, <laughs> without really any research, but that's fine because so do I. So we're on the same page there. He says, uh, he says, let's assume it was Stuart. He was faced with an awkward shot up against the cushion and he needed the rest. The problem was the rest being up against the cushion was making it difficult to get the queue lined up properly. He then produced a small extension that fitted on one of the spokes at the end of the rest. There may be a technical term. This surprised me, I'd never seen such a thing before. It got me wondering, how long has he carried that around with him without using it? More importantly, are, th- are there any rules on what implements can be used? I also assume players can only use the rest spiders that are provided, but is there anything stopping them bringing their own bespoke ones? Players are very attached to their own cues, 
So would you think they would ideally prefer to play a match using the same rest they use on their practice tables? No worries if you don't know, but I look forward to your thoughts anyway. Here's the thing, there was, it, that wasn't petty or ill-informed, it's actually quite interesting. The little implement, I'm not quite sure what you call it either, but the, Steve Davis had one, I believe, years ago. And you put it on the end of the rest and it's, uh, yeah, it helps with um, certain shots you have to play. You, you know, you won't see it, you might not see it three times a season, but you'll, you know, every now and again he reaches for it. The rests have to be sanctioned, so that is sanctioned as being allowable. You can't just turn up with any bit of equipment. Um, there was a hook rest years ago. The hook rest was the idea was that um, it, it kind of, it, if there was a, a sort of ball, okay, you've got the cue ball, and then, behind, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and then sort of as you're cueing, there's another ball kind of behind it. The hook rest would um, sort of circumvent that other ball. Uh, I don't know what happened to that. Um, I, well, I suspect what happened was that the, the hook rest man who came up with it couldn't make any money from it because you know how do you how do you sort of put it on the market a, a snooze club's only going to buy one i would imagine they're not going to buy 50 anyway so uh, yeah the, the different rests have to be sanctioned in terms of bringing your own um you know i think it's just a bit cumbersome isn't it you know traveling with a <laughs> traveling with an extended spider to a tournament it just doesn't seem very likely um i don't i don't know that it's um it would be completely um uh, frowned upon, I don't know, I don't, because I don't, think, I don't think anyone's ever done it. Um, but some of the rest, it's got to be said, are no good. I mean, there was one incident at the Players' Championship. I can't remember which bit of equipment it was, but they had to go to the other table to get the same one, because the one they had was no good. Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's essentially all I've got on that. Uh, now then, Leah McMullen. Uh, recently, there was some chat on Talking Snooker and Snooker Scene about trophies as objects. Phil Haig's love of trophies. I thought I'd extend a question I asked around all the podcasts. Could you give us a top three of your favourite snooker trophies of all time? Purely based on aesthetics of the trophy itself and whatever makes them appealing to you. Trying to leave the prestige of the actual tournament out of it. I like the look of last year's Turkish Masters. What a sight. Well, Liam, I mean, this is, uh, this is properly niche stuff now, isn't it? This is <laughs> this is properly niche. I mean, here's the thing, OK, and, and you say forget about the prestige of the tournament, but the World Championship, Tro- World Championship Trophy is, is a lovely trophy. Now, that may be because it is <laughs> for the World Championship, but it's actually, I actually like, you know, the obviously the sort of lady on the top, and, and it, it's very detailed, you know, they, they, it's not just a bit of silverware, it's actually, there's a lot going on there. The BBC did a very good feature on it a few years ago, uh, where they sort of did the history of it, and uh, yeah, I, I do think that's a lovely trophy. Um, in terms of other trophies, I used to like the old Tenants UK one. It was a big T, a big T, and um, I actually saw it recently on the Doug Mountjoy documentary on BBC Wells. His daughter has it, which is nice to know that it's still in the family. Because um, I think Doug was the last player to win it, sponsored by Tenants. I think it went to Storm Seal a year later. I'm sure people will uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was the last player to win it under the Tenants sponsorship, so I guess he got to keep the trophy. But that was a big T. Um, and then after that, well, the Grand Prix trophy, um, which I, I think is now actually presented at the World Grand Prix. I'm talking about the old Grand Prix. It was a nice trophy. It was a claret jug affair. Um, we're not going back to the Rothmans trophy, which was very different. Anyway, the, the problem is the, the, these uh, <laughs> these tournaments have had a lot of different trophies over the years. I think Phil Hay, yes, he is a bit... I'm not, I don't like to use the word fetish, but he, he does seem to like trophies. He might be... Uh, might be better for him to answer this on, on Talking Snooker. 
Um, but anyway, uh, also the Masters Trophy again. That, it's a lovely piece of uh, glassware that the, um, the, the 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 balls in the triangle. I do think that looks nice. Um, the one I didn't used to like was the old Welsh Open, the slate. I know, I know it's sort of you know resonant of the you know the, the Welsh slate and all that, but it just it did look like it had fallen off a roof. I'm afraid. <laughs> now we have a, an email from Belgrade, uh, Serbia. Again, I don't want to mangle your name, but you have written before. But it's either Pavel or Pavla. Um, but anyway, they've written in, and this is a, it's about television coverage, and it's quite interesting. This he said, um, I've got a few suggestions regarding TV coverage of snooker matches. We all want the game to grow and spread globally, and to be up to date with customs in sports TV coverage. So here are a few things I would find interesting. During coverage, sometimes there's that side camera angle, which beautifully shows how big the table actually is. Sometimes there's that shot from above, which most precisely tells us if a ball goes past the other one. These are all things that make coverage more dynamic. Perhaps they could be used more often, especially the shot from above. My main question, during snooker shootout coverage, there's a camera on the other side of the table, on the bulk side. I've never picked up a cue in my life, so that angle is very interesting to me. I don't get to see it, see such angles every day. How come it's only on the snooker shootout? If I'm not mistaken, that camera is on a crane, which would, on other tournaments, be too big of a hindrance for players and audience. This way, being in the shootout atmosphere, perhaps it's forgiven by the players and the crowd. But if it was camera fixed somewhere behind the players and not behind the audience, in the same way the main camera is placed, it could be enough. It would not require any more human resources, therefore there would not be more ex expense except for one fixed camera, which may not cost that much in the whole TV coverage scheme. It would also give us perspective into what players see and how long pots are actually hard. Safety play also. It would be something new and something refreshing. Regarding stats showed on the screen, if I'm not mistaken, there have been some during the UK Championship, and there have been a bit too many at the same time. I would always be in a rush to read and process them, and somehow I would do neither of that. I would love to see much... I would love to see more of such stats, but not all at the same time. At least in snooker, there is time. Yes, these stats have to be shown with a measure and only in certain moments of the game. I don't think that they would have to pop up all the time, but it's nice when they do appear. So more of them will be interesting to me, but not too much information at the same time. Also, as for the place where they're shown, it's, it is always at the bottom of the screen in a tiny little font. Jokingly, I think it is that way because people that make decisions have huge TV screens at their offices so these stats are not that small when they're on their screens, but not all of us have jumbotrons, and some of us watch matches on tablets and phones. Perhaps these stats could be shown in the upper part of the screen, to the left or the right. There's enough space, if there are not too many numbers at once. And yes, timely and gentle, without affecting our focus on the game. Perhaps during a safety exchange, when it's not heated up, or when a player on the table has 70 or 80 points, so the frame's gone. Sorry for the long read, and perhaps the grammar mistakes. English is not my native tongue. Thank you very much for all the work you do and all the effort you put in. I know that you make no money off this podcast and that it, that it could sometimes be a drag. So thank you very much once again. Well, thank you. Yes, it's not a drag for me. It may be a drag for the listeners, but that's a different story. Um, in terms of what you're saying, well, yeah, the back cam, they call it, the shootout, it's, um, it can go 360, basically. It's a very impressive piece of kit our dear friends at Loop Productions have come up with. But like you say, you couldn't really have it during a regular event because I think it would be off-putting. It's interesting, though, you make a good point about the, the camera from the bulk end rather than the, the black end of the table. You know, why isn't the one, I suppose, is the question. Why don't we see the, the perspective from the player breaking off, for instance? I guess the answer is it's just 
essentially the reality of the, the layout of the of the arena. You, what you have in most snooker arenas is an audience, or certainly a one-table venue. You have an audience around three sides, and at the black end, that's where the tower is. So they have the camera tower, and at the top of that they have the main camera, and you have the commentary box and, and various other things, the studio, whatever. You couldn't have that tower at the other end as well, because that's where the audience sit. So the question is, could you get a camera somewhere else, maybe at the back of the arena to sort of focus in on the bulk end? Um, you do see it sometimes, but in terms of a sort of fixed camera, it might be more difficult. But interesting to hear your perspectives on that and also the stats. I know what you're saying. I think, I think the BBC events, they've made an effort now to put more stuff on during play, which I think is a good thing, but sometimes it is a bit text heavy. And maybe you don't know where to look. There's also a peculiar stat there. Um, average break when more than two balls have been potted. But to me, that's meaningless because you can have, you can pot three balls, break of 18, blue, pink and black. Okay. Now it's not very many, but it'll win you the frame. <laughs> if you need those three balls to win the frame, it doesn't matter that it's only 18. It's won you the frame. So I don't really, I don't really see that as a, as a thing. But anyway, other people I'm sure will disagree. Now, I did ask last week for some predictions to who's going to be world champion. We've had a few. Uh, Chris Dean writes, I've been telling everyone I know for months we're going to have an 80s-style Northern Ireland world snooker champion this year in Mark Allen. I am starting to doubt I'll be in tears if he wins, and if he doesn't, I'll be very grumpy for at least a day. Such an exciting time of the year, I can't wait. Well, Mark obviously has had a great season. It's whether he can maintain that form at the Crucible and also, of course, you know, produce it in that environment with the long matches and the long sessions. Um, we don't know, but we're going to find out because the World Championship is next month. Uh, Mark Williams, not that one. He says, my prediction for the World Championship final, Ronnie O'Sullivan against Mark Williams, the winner, Mark Williams. Kind regards, Mark Williams, not that one. Well, if Mark won it, he'd be the oldest winner, wouldn't he? Uh, he, he got, played very well last year uh, very nearly got to the final as it stands at the moment though you're predicting O'Sullivan Williams as it stands at the moment they would play in the quarter finals or they'd be seeded to because Ronnie's number one and Mark Williams is number eight as it stands now but that can change um, before the World Championship and Richard Hamilton he's uh, also written on this he said just listen to your fine podcast and you asked who we the listeners thought would be this year's World Champion for me, I'm looking past the obvious contenders, Trump, Selby, Robertson and Ronnie. I also don't think it'll be Mark Allen who's gone off the boiler touch. I think we're on for one of those years with a first-time champion, perhaps like we had with Bingham, someone who was a capable player, but maybe not on many people's list of potential world champions. Or, as the world is a marathon, could we see a winner with a strong all-round game fight their way through and lift the trophy like we had with Peter Ebden? If I were a betting man, I'd go for Karen Wilson. He has pedigree at the world's, an all-round game that's well-suited to long match formats. If the draw opens up, I suspect it might. As, as I suspect it might, I don't see why not. Thanks for reading, and I welcome your thoughts. Well, thank you, Richard. Yeah, I mean, Kyron, uh, I tipped him, which is not necessarily a good thing. I tipped him two years ago. Um, no, when was it? Hang on. Uh, was it three years ago? It's when he got to the final. Yeah, three years ago. I did tip him, I think. Hang on, let me get this straight. Was it the year after? I think it might have been the year after. Um, it was the year he beat Robertson. I, I know this is, people were saying, hang on, get yourself together. We've got things to do. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> it was the year he beat Robertson, which was two years ago, wasn't it? So, OK, so it was 2021. He lost in the semis to Sean Murphy. Um, he's one of those players who you feel has sort of got the, the temperament for the crucible. I have to say, though, um, 
I do feel that if you won the World Championship, you're at a massive advantage. First-time winners are relatively rare um, in recent times. Um, the big four there, though, you've talked about Trump, Selby, Robertson and O'Sullivan. I'm writing a piece for Eurosport this week about sort of asking why they haven't really performed this season. But if you look at it, the last 16 World Championships, OK, only two of the last 16 World Championships have been won by someone other than Trump, Selby, Robertson and O'Sullivan. That was Bingham in 2015 and Mark Williams in 2018. So, so that's going back to 2007. It's, you know, it's been dominated really by, well, it's been dominated by O'Sullivan and Selby, let's be honest. But uh, Trump and Robertson have also won it. Um, and they've also won, those four have won 26 of the last 35 Triple Crown events. Um, so, you know, it has been a, a period of dominance, but it's dropped off this season. And that's why I think it, the World Championship is especially interesting this year, because is it going to be one of those dependables, or is it going to be, like you say, someone coming through the pack out of nowhere? You know, could it be Dingier if he qualifies? Could it be the Milkman, maybe? Who knows? Who knows? But um, we're going to find out, because, as I say, we're just over a month away from the greatest snooker show on Earth. That's not this podcast, it's the World Championship. Well... That is it, I think. Uh, Alpha Bonzi wrote in about uh, Sean Murphy. I did cover this last week, really. The, 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 the comments he made. I did. I, I think I did cover that Alpha last last week uh, in one of the podcasts. Um, he does say, if I were Daniel Wells, I'd take O'Sullivan's comment towards him as, cha- as a challenge. If Wells didn't like it, prove O'Sullivan wrong. Well, that's one way of looking at it, isn't it? I suppose. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we also sort of covered that last week. So that's it. It's not you're not going to win any awards this week, is it? But having said that, thank you to the for everyone who emailed in because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have a podcast. Do keep letting us know um, who you think is going to win the world championship as we build up towards the, uh, the you know the crucible, and hopefully I'll gather some of the uh, the best brains in the business, Alan, Neil, Phil uh, at, the, at the tour championship. And we'll, we'll we'll make our picks because at the moment I'm a little bit undecided uh, who I think is going to win. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of contenders, but um, it's a bit hard when you haven't got the draw either, that's the other thing. By the way, the draw, well, actually, I can't say. <laughs> I've just realised, because it's not my place to say, but I do know where it's going to be on. Um, anyway, that, that will all be here. Uh, if you see me in the street, stop me and I'll tell you. That's all I can, that's all I can say. It's not a big deal, really, but it's not really for me to announce. Um, anyway... So that's uh, that's this week's podcast. Enjoy the six reds. As I say, it's live on Discovery Plus and Eurosport. Uh, early starts. Um, do let us know if you're watching, though, because I know a lot of snooker fans just love to watch any snooker. And I think it'll be interesting. I, I, they've sold a lot of tickets for Ronnie's matches. And he's been... I wouldn't be surprised if he won it. I know it's a, it's, it's not a lottery, but it's it's kind of a different form of the game. I mean, Mark Davis won it three times, you know. It, it's, it maybe suits certain players, but Ronnie's been talking it up a lot. So it wouldn't surprise me if he won it. Um, but anyway, it's going to be an interesting week. He plays Stan Moody in one of the matches. Obviously, Stan Moody coming on the tour next year. So that's going to be interesting. Um, so that's that. And then next week, the WST Classic. Then it's the Tour Championship. Then it's the World Qualifying. Then it's the World Championship. So it's a busy period. Um, thanks for listening. We're proud members of the Sports Social Network. Check out their other podcasts. And... Uh, yeah, email us, snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. Um, so that's it from this non-bumper episode. But uh, bumper or not, we always sign off by saying goodbye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.